0: And he loves us truly, God bless you Yeah, just so know he loves us Yeah, good morning! Alright, alright Everybody turn around real quick, that's Eric Cruz right there That's the, that's the voice from uh, Welcome to the Sanctuary song Just thought I'd humiliate you for a minute and bless you It's always good to see you, bro. (laughs) Amen. Anybody excited about the Word this morning? Come on, like excited about the Word. Come on. All right, all right. All right, all right. Let's let's have the reading of the Word. Can we just stand for the reading, please? Go ahead, guys. 1
1: John chapter 1. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning When we have heard and seen We saw him with our own eyes And touched him with our own hands He is the word of life This one who is life itself was revealed to us And we have seen him And now we testify And proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. life He was with the Father, and then He was revealed to us. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things that you may fully share our joy. This is the message we heard from Jesus and now I declare to you, God is light. And there was no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light, as God is in the light, and we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts.
0: Amen. amen 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 father we just ask that you would bless us god that we would that you would uh, just bless god the speaker and the hearer god that you would anoint your word father we know that it already will never return void father we receive it we accept it we stand on it and we share it now in jesus name amen amen, amen. you may be seated There are some things that no one can take away from you. What you've seen with your own eyes and what you've experienced with your own life. Amen? Here's my quote this morning. The truth never loses its power. People, however, often lose their grip on the truth. Amen? Tweet it. If you've been at this church for more than two or three weeks, you know how we roll when it comes to the Word, right? You know we don't like cutesy, tickle your ears, scratch where you itch just to make you feel good preaching, right? Right? You know, we love the truth, the Word. There's nothing better than the Word. There's nothing stronger, nothing richer, nothing more thought-provoking, more mood-altering, course-correcting, foundation-building, light-shedding, chain-breaking, goal-setting, dream-inspiring, life-giving power than what comes from the simple Word of God. Amen? Amen. Too, Too often, the best of us ministers with the best of intentions... We just get in the way trying to make it say what it wasn't even trying to say. So, all right. We started going through the book of 1 Corinthians last year. And I'm excited to say that today we're going to finish it. Amen. Amen? Amen? That's awesome, right? I think it's awesome that we have been able to walk through an entire book of the Bible together. Like we've done with the book of Acts. Like we've done with the book of Genesis. That took us, what, like 16 years? Like a year and a half, I think, right? But it's alright, we got time, right? And and, and as as we grow, I, I just think it's it's the best I I, I love it. Amen. So alright. So First Corinthians and, and you know it's it's awesome to just have that underneath us, it's awesome to have that with us because now like we we can say like we've studied this book. Isn't it awesome? Right? if If you've missed some pieces, just go back and listen to them, download them, podcast them do do whatever you got to do so you catch up and and you kind of go through all these books with us because I believe you'd be more mature and more we grow up better if we do that amen all right, so let's wrap up first Corinthians with a message titled "True Story: True Story." You know how when you tell somebody when you're about to tell them something, you tell them no true story, true story, and then you say. Because like, like before that, it means like maybe you were going to tell lies, you know, that you are going to tell. But when you say true story, it, it automatically makes whatever you're going to say a true story after that, right? Or you, you know how sometimes you go to the movies and it could be a great movie or it could be a lousy movie. But if in the beginning it said inspired by a true story, or, or if at the end it said true story, all of a sudden that kind of changes the movie, right? It like makes it, oh wow, but... It changes it. I don't know, maybe just me, I don't, I don't know. I want to share with you true story. So let's start 1 Corinthians 15. Paul starts this way. He says, now let me remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news that I preached to you before. You welcomed it then and still do now, for your faith is built on this wonderful message. And it is the good news that saves you if you firmly believe it. Unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. So Paul is finishing this letter with a closing summary. True story. He's already brought, we've been through the whole book, he's already brought encouragement, he's brought rebuke, he's brought correction, he's brought teaching, he's brought training, right? He's lifted some brothers up and in love he's broken some other brothers down, right? Right? And now he says, let me bring you back to a true story, to the gospel, to the good news. Paul has identified and he's tried to deal with a lot of issues that were going on in that church and that go on in every church, every time imperfect people gather to worship a perfect God. Amen? I mean, you know there's no perfect churches, right? I know some of you are still looking. It's alright. Keep searching. But Paul's already dealt with a bunch of things. He's already identified a lot of issues that happen in the church. We've gone through them. Division, backbiting, accountability, arrogance, sexual immorality. He talked about marriage and life. He talked about living single. He dealt with idolatry. He dealt with worship and, and communion and keeping communion sacred. He dealt with spiritual gifts and how we should walk in them in order to benefit the body and to live in peace with one another. He had a whole chapter on on just love right chapter 13 and what it looks like and how when we operate as one body you know all the pieces fit and things come together so that nobody gets damaged and everyone gets built up true story that's what the church is supposed to look like i don't know when we became these judgmental freaks who who pretend to have it all together and act holy but live different you know that simple definition of holy? Uh, I looked it up. You know, I'm such a theologian. I looked up the definition of holy, and and the simple definition means dedicated to God. Isn't that simple? Dedicated to God. So, what does that even look like in our culture, in our in our context? Maybe maybe it looks like just walking in God's love, stumbling through, sometimes even falling. But because we're holy, we remain dedicated to God. Maybe holy is getting back up and giving God another try. Maybe holy is getting back up and trying some more. Maybe holy is going after God some more, trying to get it right again, sometimes even still getting it wrong. Maybe holy is, is loving God because He first loved us. Holy is loving people because God tells us to. It says they were naked and they were ashamed, so they hid. Notice, God doesn't bring shame on us, our sin shames us. What did God do? As soon as He saw that they were naked and ashamed and they hid from Him, meaning they were scared to have communion with Him again, as they always did. He used to always meet and walk with them during the day. He came, they were ashamed and hidden. Well, the first thing He did was He made clothes for them out of leather. The word, the, the word carefully tells us leather. Why? Why not fig leaves? Right? We always have the picture of Adam with the fig leaf. That's just because artists were embarrassed to draw it. You know, so they covered it. But, but He says He made clothes for them out of leather. How do we get leather? Something had to die. Do you get the picture? This is the gospel right from the beginning in Genesis. Something had to die for them to to be clothed. So so there had to be a sacrifice. Oh, this is so good. I hope you, you get this. There had to be a sacrifice to cover up their sin so that they can have communion with God again. Ever since that time, as we read through Genesis and the books that follow, the sacrifices got more and more involved, and they were harder and harder to maintain. And when the, when the law was given to man, not because the law was going to make us better Christians, and we'd be able to keep the law, but to show us how sinful we really are, and to show us that we can never cover our own sin. So, the word says the wages of sin is death, meaning for every sin, blood had to be spilled. We, We follow? You follow? So, in order to allow us to have communion with God, blood had to be spilled to cover our sins. And so, after God teaches us the cost and the relevance and the importance of the sacrifice and how perfect it had to be done, how perfect the sacrifice itself had to be, He teaches us in the Old Testament. Then He provides in Himself the spotless Lamb of God. The perfect sacrifice to provide a permanent, once and for all sacrifice for our sins. So part one, He died. And Paul writes there, He died according to the Scriptures. What is he talking about? Paul is referring to Old Testament Scriptures that they already had, like Psalm 16 or Isaiah 53, which foretold what would happen. See, he died. It wasn't an accident or an afterthought. It wasn't... the. Sometimes we look at the, the Gospel and we think that the crucifix was was a demonic plan from Satan to destroy Jesus. Do you know that it wasn't that? You know that it was the plan from the beginning. Jesus himself foretold to the apostles. He told them many times, I'm going to die. Now that doesn't make him a prophet, right? Because we could tell each other all day, listen, one day I'm going to die. And then when we finally die, doesn't whoa, he was a prophet. No, we know that that's going to happen, right? But Jesus told them, listen, I'm going to die. They're going to destroy this temple, but it's going to be raised up in three days. Nobody else has ever foretold their death and their resurrection and actually had it come true. Nobody in history. So he, he actually told them that this was going to happen. That he would be resurrected. But, but, but let's get into it. What does his dying really do? Listen to this quote from, from a commentary, a Guzik's commentary. It says, at some point before he died... Before the veil was torn in two, giving us access to the throne room of God. Before He cried out, it is finished. An awesome spiritual transaction took place. The Father laid upon Jesus all the guilt, all the shame, all the wrath that our sin deserved. And He bore it in Himself perfectly, totally satisfying the wrath of God for us. True story. Too, he was buried. Now we never we, we probably don't give much thought, you know, to this being an important part of the gospel. The important part of the gospel is that he died, right? But he buried is just as he was buried is just as crucial. Why? Because his burial provided proof that he died. Do you, do you get that? Because you don't bury somebody that's alive. Right, His burial provided proof that he was dead. Because see, many, many people back in the historians and many people have tried to discount the historical fact that he actually died. Many people try to say, because they, they don't want to believe in the resurrection. So they'll try to say, he, he maybe passed out. He maybe slipped into a coma. He wasn't really dead. That's why we saw him later on. He, he wasn't really dead, so he didn't, you know, resurrect. But the records clearly say that a Roman soldier, not Christians, a Roman soldier declared that he was dead. The records clearly tell us that the Roman soldiers, they didn't break his legs as was customary. The reason they would break their legs when, when people were crucified is because you needed your legs to breathe when you were, when you were crucified. In order to take a breath, you'd have to push up on your legs to take a deep breath and then exhale. So without your legs, you can no longer breathe anymore and you would die from the the carbon monoxide, from not breathing. So the, the, the Roman soldiers, it says, when they went to check that he was dead, they pierced him in his side. And they said, he's dead. So they didn't have to break his legs to prove that he was dead. And as a matter of fact, the fact that his legs weren't broken was another prophecy that was foretold in the Old Testament. Also the fact that he was buried in a rich man's tomb, another prophecy that was foretold in the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, there's over 400 prophecies in the Old Testament that Jesus fulfilled perfectly. Is that crazy? Are you still with me? So, so the Roman soldiers declared him dead. They didn't break his legs. They declared that he was dead when they pierced them. The records tell us that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus wrapped his body and placed them in a tomb. I mean, you know, you don't wrap somebody that's alive. And if you did wrap a body that was alive, he would be dead in three days. Thus defeating the excuse. So the, the records tell us that 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 he was dead, right? That it was a true story. So he died and he was buried. Listen, if he didn't die, it would have he would have never been buried. And it leads us to the to the last part, which is just as important as the first two. Part three, he was resurrected. Say amen. This is just as vital as the two. Although the fact that he died is what met the requirement. You know that we were we were paid our sins were paid and forgiven because he died. Not because he resurrected. Just because he died is the part of the gospel that makes us forgiven. That makes us washed clean. But although the fact that he died is what met the requirement, the burial was the proof, the resurrection is the receipt. Come on, somebody should be excited today they are acting like you haven't been paid for. You guys are acting like, like come on, like I'm not sharing something that, 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 that pertains to you, that's relevant to you. You and I both could never have made it on our own. We can't earn this. We don't deserve this. But He died, He was buried, and He was resurrected for you and for me, even though we don't deserve it. And because of that, we have life. Amen? Because of that, we can can have a time of worship like we had this morning. Not because we have great musicians, although we do. Not because there's great singers, although they are. But we can enjoy the worship and fellowship of God because of this true story. Amen? So... The resurrection was a receipt. So let's talk about that one a quick minute. His death paid the price. He took on our sins by dying. So the burial is important because it proves that he died. And, and, but, but how can we be sure that it, he really resurrected? Anybody ask those questions? Anybody deal with people who are always fighting with them? Ah, that's story, that's this. No? Maybe you guys are not talking to people then. <laughs> Y'all are condemning yourselves today. You, you understand that, right? You never deal with people that say, "Oh that you know man wrote that, man, this is not that's not true you like they make it seem like it's some little fairy tale that you have to believe in blindly like and be blind blind you know brainwashed and blind to believe it no, this is a fact, a true story that happened. you still choose whether you believe or not, but it happened not because you have to close your eyes and and believe in some fairy tale so how 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 can we be sure that it happened. Let me show you. Paul Paul writes in verse 5, he says, after the the, the death, it says, he appeared, Jesus appeared to Peter. Then to the twelve, verse 6, after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living. You got to grab this, watch this, follow. Though some of those have fallen asleep, they have died, Then he appeared to James, to the apostles, and last of all he appeared to me, Paul says. So at the time that Paul was sharing this, and this is key, you got to grab this, there are still many people that were alive when this happened. Why is that important? Because any of those people could have come to Corinth and say, this man is lying. I was there. They They killed this dude on a cross and that was it. Somebody stole his body, you know, they, they, they could say whatever story. They could they could instantly say, listen, I was there and show their lineage and show where they came from and tell everybody I was there. That never happened. And what would have happened? Paul would have been laughed out of Corinth and we probably would never be talking about him today. So there were people alive that could have disputed everything that's, that, that Paul is talking about. And that's why he's saying... Listen, this is a true story. Hundreds of Peter saw him first, which was just a beautiful thing that Jesus did because Peter was the last one to deny him three times. Isn't that amazing that God would do that? Just a little piece of the story that's just amazing for who? Just for Peter. Because Peter was the last one that denied him twice, three times, that felt condemned. It says that he wept bitterly afterwards. He was broken and Jesus comes to him first and he says, look, it's true, I'm alive. He appears to him first. That was just beautiful, but anyway, that's a side note. (coughs) So he says, he appeared to Peter. Peter saw him first. James saw him. Then hundreds of people saw him. And then I saw him. I believe because I saw it. Now this is key, because Paul and James, Jesus' half-brother, were anti-Jesus before. So it's key that he says... James, that's why it's mentioned there James and me saw it because they were both it, the, the word tells us that James his half brother didn't believe in him so he was anti-Jesus and you know Paul was anti-Jesus he was killing Christians he was killing those that said that they, were, that they believed in the way so, so these two men who were anti-Jesus met him face to face had an encounter with him that changed their lives forever true story he says, I, I believe it because I saw it. So, so then, alright, why is the resurrection important? I know this is a, like, I'm not really preaching, it's a little teaching today, but I, but I hope that this is something that sits in you that, that we need, amen? So, the, the Word tells us, although Jesus bore the full wrath of God on the cross... As if he was a guilty sinner, guilty of all of our sin, even being made sin for us, 1 Corinthians tells us, he himself did not become a sinner. Even the act of taking our sin was an act of holy giving love for us, so that Jesus himself did not become a sinner, but a Savior. This is the gospel message. Now, in the church of Corinth at that time, there were people who believed that Jesus resurrected, but they didn't believe that we would be resurrected. Because of their Greek and pagan backgrounds, they didn't believe in the resurrection. So And and they didn't believe that flesh could be resurrected. They didn't believe that things that were material could be spiritual. They You know, it, it was a lot of teaching in there that they believed. And so they didn't believe that we would be resurrected. Paul is dealing with this right now. He tells them in verse 21, Since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For in Adam we all die, in Christ we're all made alive the resurrection is important today because by the resurrection Jesus conquered death so that we no longer have to fear death did you guys take like sleeping pills today or what? in verse 52, In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed, for the perishable must close itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true, Death has been swallowed up in victory. See church, it is appointed unto a that man once to die, and then the judgment, right? So there's, there's something after the death, there's a resurrection that Paul is telling us about, that we are going to be lifted up with glorified bodies. Can anybody be excited about that? A glorified body that knows no sickness, that knows no disease, that doesn't need Red Bull, that doesn't get tired. A man that doesn't need coffee in the morning. A a glorified body that is always fully alive and fully ready and fully... I mean, can you get get that today? We're going to have a glorified body. And so the last question that Paul deals with in chapter 15 is the question of these resurrected bodies. People were saying, well, how are these resurrected bodies going to look? Anybody ever had that question? Are you, are you guys, are you picturing it now? Like uh, big biceps. Not a six-pack, but like a 14-pack. I want my six-pack to start here and like end down here somewhere. Right? Are you picturing a glorified body that never gets sick? That never, uh, oh man. So, people were asking, so then, how are these glorified by that? Are they going to be just spiritual? Just, you know, and they were asking these things. And, and Paul gives an incredible illustration, I love this, that paints the most beautiful picture. Watch this. He says, you know when you sow something, when you plant something, you don't plant what it will be. Right? You follow? What do you plant? When you plant a, a cherry tree, you plant a seed. What's the seed look like? Anybody seen any pretty seeds? They're just seeds, right? There's big seeds, little seeds, but, but they're just seeds. So Paul, Paul is saying, you know, when you plant something, you don't plant something that's what it's going to be. You just plant the seed. Jesus said, uh, he gives the same illustration, Jesus. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, you'll never see the life that's going to come out of it. Watch, this is deep. So these resurrected bodies that die, or I mean these bodies that die when we bury our loved ones, when we bury people, these bodies, these dead bodies, when they die, they're just the seed for the resurrected body. And and I've thought about this because I've, you know, people get, always want to ask pastors those deep questions. You know, should we be cremated? Is that against God? Uh, like, and, and all these questions, like, you know, if we're going to resurrect again, or should we donate our eyes and donate our parts to people? Is that wrong? Is that going to be, does that mean that I'm going to get to heaven? I'm going to have missing an eye or, or, or <laughs> come on, you've all thought of these questions, right? Like if I'm, if, if I'm cremated, then how's God going to resurrect my body? You never thought about that? Come on, we've had arguments like this. Don't tell them, pretend. And so, but you know what's incredible about that one? I, I read it in a, in, in, in a story someplace, and it blew my mind. Isn't it something that in one little cell, there's our DNA? Oh, come on, this is, this is deep. And in, what's our DNA? Our DNA carries everything that makes us right the all of life is in a dna so so oh man so the word says from that we're going to go from ashes to we're going to go to dust right so whether we're cremated whether we're buried for 180 years whether we're and somebody scatters our ashes all over the the sea whether hey, god needs one dna <laughs> oh come on man one In 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 every little cell, there's the full structure of who this man is. So the word says that we'll be recognizable, but we'll have totally glorified bodies. Worship team, you guys can come. Let's give them hope. Come on. This. So 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 this is crazy. This body is just the seed. This body that we worry so much about, that we stress so much about, this body that we're so concerned with, that we're nipping and tucking and pulling and tripping. And, and, this is just the ugly seed. Oh, come on, man. This is just the ugly seed for the glorified body that we're going to have for eternity. The body that doesn't need push-ups, that doesn't need system or Weight Watchers. Hallelujah! <laughs> you felt it, I know, that was heavy. I, no, no pun intended. Verse 58, the ends with this, he says, Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Family, another way that we know that this is a true story is because these men were willing to face death to protect it. Why does that matter? Some men will die for a lie invented by others, right? True? But no man will die for a lie that he invented. Can you you catch that? Can you see the weight of that for a minute? If this was a lie, these men would have died for a lie that they invented. That's not crazy. The Bible tells us that one of them hung himself, Judas; that one of them was beheaded, John. Then history tells us that most of these men were were most likely died some pretty horrible deaths. There's all kinds of you know historical records. Not you know I, I won't preach it as truth because it's just something that we've read. Some were beheaded. Some had to be crucified upside down. And really it's not so important how these apostles died. But what's important is that they were willing to die. If Jesus had not been resurrected, these disciples would have known it. Because it happened in their time. They would have known it. People will not die for something they know to be alive. So the fact that all of these apostles were willing to die horrible deaths, refusing to renounce their faith in Christ, is a tremendous evidence that they truly witnessed something that changed their lives. I said in the beginning, there's two things you nobody can take away from you. That which you've seen and that which you've experienced. Amen were willing to and most probably died because of this true story. My challenge for us today is would we be willing to live for it? These apostles walked it like it was true. Can we walk it today like it was true? Let me just bow our heads for a moment.